0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Pray for me that I preach better than I led that third song, and uh, we will go just fine. I kind of struggled this week. I wanted what I wanted to bring forward. I have this tendency to want to kind of hang around where I've been last week. And and so I was going through the Judges and trying to put another sermon together for Judges. And then I went through the Book of Ruth, because the Book of Ruth is in the time of Judges. And so I just really couldn't get it down to really feeling something, so... By the end of the week, I ended up with something quite different, just a topical topic, and um, actually started thinking about how um, Valentine's Day has come and gone, and and, um, the day's cool. I just think that we should be good to our spouses every day of the year, but uh, nonetheless, it's a reminder for us and and relationships. And so, But I realized that uh, Valentine's Day had come and gone, and I hadn't even spoke on anything relational at all. And so I thought today, you know what, I'm just going to bring in something in the area of relationships. Not it will be pertinent to husband and wife, but basically in the area of any type of personal um, relationship. I want to start in the book of Matthew today, uh, chapter 12, and we're going to read 14 verses here. And so bear with me, but stay locked in because it's going to be pertinent to what we're talking about. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 1, it says this, At the time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath... And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests?" Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place, there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, when he departed from there, he went into another synagogue and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. Several years ago, um, there's a movie that came out called The Book of Eli, and I, I saw it in the theaters, and it's kind of wild and gory and the whole thing, and, and but it just kind of intrigued me, the plot of it is why I went and saw it. And there was a very interesting part in the movie. The whole movie was basically around uh, the main character who had memorized The Bible. Now, during the show, you didn't really know that he had memorized the Bible, and you didn't even know that he was blind at the time, but he had memorized the entire Bible, and his goal for the movie was to get this memorization out of him onto paper and onto print so that people could have the Bible and be able to read it so they could see the Bible and be free. But there was people after him, and one particular bad guy was after him, wanted to get him. He thought that he didn't, he didn't know he had it memorized. He thought he had the Bible and was constantly trying to get him so that he could get the Bible for himself. And he wasn't a good guy, but he didn't want Denzel, uh, the, the, the character in there, to go and, and, res- and take the Bible to the public. He wanted to steal the Bible. And during that movie, I remember the bad guy um, Quoting about the Bible saying, I've seen this done before in reference to somebody having the Bible and being able to control a whole group of people with the Bible. So the story was about one guy trying to get it to the press so that everybody could have it and get freedom. But the other guy wanted to steal it because he had seen before that if you have the Bible, you can control a group of people. And the an interesting thing about the story was it's exactly how the Bible plays out, and it's so true, that the Bible is meant for freedom of all mankind, but in the wrong hands, like these Pharisees, under the wrong attitude, the Bible can be used to control and not to bring freedom. In Second Corinthians chapter three verses four to five, it says it this way: "And we have such trust through Christ towards God." Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit brings life. So what the scripture is saying is that you can have a Bible and you can use it to kill if you use it as the letter, or if you use it through the spirit, you can use it To bring life. The Bible will bring life or the Bible can kill. Depending on how it comes and how it is interpreted, either can come from it. And so we saw in those first examples, there was people that were just trying to get a little food because they were hungry and the law was trying to control them and bind them and bring burdens to them. But Jesus says, listen, that's not why the law was created. That's not why the scripture was created. It was to bring life. And if you just knew the scripture to a greater degree... That I desire mercy over sacrifice, you would understand this. And so the Bible can be looked at from different perspectives, and we can use it or even receive it either as freedom or we can receive it into our own, even into our own lives as bondage. The Bible says in Matthew 23 and 4, it says this. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And so Jesus here was talking about the Pharisees as well, that they lay burdens on people's lives with the word of God. But they don't do anything to bring freedom to the situation. They'll say it's not lawful to heal on the, on the Sabbath, but they won't say be healed and set somebody free. You know, in another scripture, Jesus says, Ought not this woman in a different healing? They were mad that he healed on the Sabbath as well. And he said, Ought not this woman, a child of Abraham, be set free? And so the word can be used as bondage. It can be used to bind people up under the letter. Or it can be used as freedom to be able to set people free. The Spirit brings life, but the letter kills And so our job as ministers of the gospel and as ministers of the word of God is to obviously is to bring freedom to people, to empower, to build up, to empower people with the word of God, rather than lay burdens on people. And then even worse is to show them the burden and then do nothing about taking it off, taking it off. You know, a lot of times in the church, we're guilty of that. We want to preach sin, but we don't tell them there's a way to take it off. It's just about feeling bad, and and we want to make people feel bad, and we want to make them feel heavy, but we don't let them know that there's a freedom side of the law, that there's a reason why sin is bad for us, because God wants us to be free, because sin is just a master of our lives. It's a controller. It's a Lord. Jesus doesn't want us mastered by anything. So the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life, and us as ministers of the gospel, it is our job to empower not control to build and not tear down. Now I'd taken some notes several years ago on a sermon that I had as I was researching this topic coming into today. And I can't, I didn't put the name of the sermon. I don't know what notes they're even from, but I took some notes on a sermon that I had listened to a while back. And the fellow was talking about force versus power. And he was dealing with the letter of the law versus the freedom of the spirit, the life of the spirit. And he used them in two ways. He said the letter of the law is like using force and the freedom of the spirit is like using power. And there's a difference between forcing a situation and then walking in the power of a situation. Force, unfortunately, is something that we've been taught in life to survive. It's part of our fallen man. It's part of our fallen nature. And we often use it in our lives simply just to survive. But what force does is it evokes, like the letter of the law, force evokes something, evokes a negative emotion and puts a burden onto people. I'll give you an example of force, guilt. Guilting somebody is an example of the letter of the law or is an example of force, guilting someone, putting guilt on someone. It'd be like me messing up that third song and then going in the mic. You know, I just don't have enough people praying for me and this worship team. That's just guilt, right? If I wanted more prayer, i just have to ask for more prayer. But when you guilt somebody in a situation, that is the letter of the law. It's trying to evoke a negative a reaction or a negative emotion in somebody to make them do something. And it happens in all kinds of relationships that we're going to get into. But when we motivate by guilt, it's the letter of the law. And it is not the spirit of life. Shame is force. It is the letter of the law when we shame people. You know, and and we learn how to survive in life, so we do it sometimes. Sometimes we'll shame our friends or our kids into certain situations. And, you know, if you do that, oh, you're dirty or you're guilty or this, you're shaming even though it might work for a very short period of time, and that's why we do it, because sometimes we see an immediate reaction, it never has the proper long-term reaction. It's never freedom. And so we never want to motivate by shame. Fear is a force that is the letter of the law and is not the spirit of life. I remember my mom used to tell me, if you try drugs, drug, son, I will end up in a mental institution. And She's serious about it. She used to tell me this all the time well, I got news for you. She stayed sane and I still did drugs. <laughs> Didn't work. So it wasn't the right way of doing it. We can't shame or put fear into people because it might have a short term. And i tell you why I did have a short term. Every time I was about to go do it, I heard my mama. And so it was a good thing because she had weight in my life and she, she spoke into my life, and that's always a good thing in a God-given position. It was just in that particular situation, it wasn't very good motivation because it was just a fear tactic. So guilt, shame, fear, and inadequacy. Making somebody feel inadequate, feel low beneath you. That's a, that's a type of force. It's, 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 it's not the spirit of life. It's the letter of the law. So now all these things that I just spoke of, They can come in two different fashions. They can even become very aggressive. If you have an aggressive personality, like you can just lay on guilt aggressively, or they can come very passively. So you can use the letter of the law very, oh, how dare you like those Pharisees? How dare you? I'll stone you if you break the law. Or you can use it very, very passively as well. It can be in your face or it can be passive. An example of in your face is just like using um, the letter of the law or using an improper emotion would be people that argue in your face. You know that if you dare say something wrong, they'll get up on your face and be like, you don't know who you're messing with. That kind of attitude. That's force. That's the letter of the law. What they're trying to do is back you down from your opinion with force rather than the spirit of, the, of life or truth. I mean, we all have been around people where you don't want to say the wrong thing because they just like get in your face. And so it can be aggressive like that. That's challenge. Often it comes from different backgrounds People have come from tough places that you have to survive to be tough. The need to be right is forceful, is forceful. Man, oh man, that I used to have this problem, especially in the area of the Bible. And now I'm in a place in my life where the more I know, it's getting really terrible because the more I learn about the Bible, I realize the less I have a clue of really what's going on in that thing. I do. It's like the more you learn the scripture, you realize the deeper you get that the Bible gets a lot deeper too. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I've missed it in so many areas. But when I used to argue the Bible initially, I just had to be right. And I could corner you with the scripture. But I never really wanted you to succeed out of the argument. I just wanted to win. Now, at the time, I thought I was being holy. But looking back, I thought, oh, Jesus, that's not your spirit at all, just trying to win. That's the letter of the law, having to be right. Intimidation, kind of like the argue thing. It's intimidate, you know? We can't intimidate our kids to be scared of us. We can't because there's a day where they're going to come out underneath your thumb and you want them to know the difference, not be scared of the person so that when they come out from underneath that situation, then they just go hog wild because now that fear has been removed and now they can experiment. So, we have all these different things that are aggressive types of force. The need to convince, the need to be right now mentality. You know, I used to take the scripture when I argued with my wife, scripture about don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so I figured I had to solve this thing before. (laughs) I figured I had to solve this thing, you know, before the sun went down. But it doesn't say solve it before the sun goes down, it says don't be angry. And so I even heard teachings about you need to solve the problem before the sun goes down. But my problems were deep and it wasn't going to take a night. So I would just want to solve this thing for the night. And it had to be now, now, now. And it had to be my conclusion so that I could feel better about going to sleep. Well, I took the letter of the law and killed myself and killed my wife over the situation. And then I realized the Bible doesn't say don't go down being right or don't go down solving the problem. It says don't be angry. So that was a me issue. I didn't have to get her to solve it the situation with me. I it was my choice to lose the anger. Just don't be mad over the situation yet then. Don't have to solve it by tonight, but don't be angry over it. And then sometimes you have to make a step not to be angry. You know, give your wife a hug when you're mad, right? All right. So we can get really delusional with these situations. So that's the aggressive side of force in the letter of the law, but there's also a whole passive side. Some people see that side and they say, I'm not like that, but you could be just as bad being passive, being passive aggressive. You can do guilt trips. Like I was talking about, I just don't have enough people praying for me on the worship team. That's why I blew that third song. Well, we can do it in any situation. You know, maybe a husband's working too many hours and rather than just talking about the money. Just, I don't know how you can even think about me when there's no time with me at home and, da, 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 and all these different guilt trips. It doesn't work. All it does is bring shame and bring guilt and the letter of the law when really we have to bring the spirit of life into the situations. So guilt trips, silent treatments, you don't have to be aggressive to be doing silent treatments. That's extremely passive, but really a silent treatment can be just as powerful, but it's passively done. Victim mentality is a big one. Oh poor me, it always happens to me. It's always this, no one likes me and no one's ever in my situation and all these kind of stuff. That's just passive aggressiveness. Is what it is. It's trying to make people feel a certain way based on a negative emotion. And it's not life, it's death. And so we can be aggressive about the situation or we can be passive about the situation. It's funny You tell Jonathan's been taught, well, I'll just jokingly do something passive aggressive with him. And if we're driving in the truck, and he just did it the other morning again, and he's like, well, that wasn't passive aggressive now, dad, was it? (laughs) So it's good we're teaching him to be able to see that at a really young age. And then he laughs, and I'm like, yeah, that kind of was, wasn't it? So, guilt trips, silent treatments, all these different things are all passive aggressive. Or you can be both. Some people have a flip-flop kind of attitude. I remember one particular person that I didn't get along too well. They would start with, do you know who I am? And end up with, I'm so sorry I was brought up this way. And from like mad to cry, there was no middle ground to be able to deal anything out. But both of them are just as powerful. One is like, oh man, in your face. The other one's like, oh, I do what? It's both of a- a- evoking emotions, but none are true and correct. And none are, are godly. They're manipulative. Do you hear where I'm coming from? God wants truth. God wants speaking in truth and he wants it to bring life and be edifying and be building up, not tearing down. So this happens in all different areas. Manipulation happens all over the place. A lot of times it happens in marriage. We manipulate all the time each other in marriage. It's just, it's just, we get better as the years go on, but we do it. We get angry and we try to back the other person down or we Pull guilt trips, or we try to make the other person feel guilty for doing something, or or going hunting, or or spending too much time with their girlfriends, or whatever it may be. And it doesn't mean that all these are not legitimate situations that have to be talked out. It's just how do you bring the topic aggressively, passive aggressively, guilt, shame, or is it talked out with the spirit of life so that you can grow in your relationships? You know, a lot of times we see in marriages that people get married and they have dreams together. But after a while, the dreams turned to expectations. So you loved each other when they were all dreams. And that's why you got married. But all of a sudden, you get married. And all of a sudden, the dreams turned to expectations. Well, I thought you were this. And I thought you were going to do this. And what started as a dream to be able to build together turns to an expectation. And all of a sudden, it goes from the spirit of life again into deathly situations to where it's like, putting down the other person, making them feel inadequate because what was a dream is now an expectation that they're not meeting a certain goal in our lives. And all these things are just dangerous in marriages and dangerous in relationships. So we do that a lot, you know, or the other side, the passive side, the victim side, you don't love me anymore. It's always my fault. All that doesn't take the place of godly talk where the spirit can bring life. We do it in parenting. We're aggressive in parenting. Do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? It's all aggressive. You know, I say one word to my boy and he changes what's going on. But the entire time that I've raised him is whenever he got in trouble, he would always run and cry into my chest. And I loved that because I knew that even though he was in trouble, and that he was crying, he knew that I was a safe spot for him to be able to work the problem out. And so I always worked to maintain that and never get him scared of me in this scenario. And so even when I have to raise my voice in a situation, he's not scared of what's going to happen to him. He responds because he knows that I'm his dad, wants the best for him, and that's the ultimate goal. And he knows that I'll be a safe spot to be able to talk that out. And if I do it stupid or if I do it where I shouldn't do it somewhere, then I'm the first one and need to be the first one to go say, you know what, I'm sorry, I shouldn't handle the situation like that, you know? And otherwise I lose the spirit. I lose the power to be able to edify him and build him to who he wants to be. Again, I just create a spirit of fear to when one day he'll come out underneath him. And I don't want him to come out underneath it. I mean, he's going to be married. He's going to come out under my authority. But I don't want him waiting for the day to come out. I want a nice transition from dad into coach into like a mentor, you know? So parenting, we do that. We get aggressive or we guilt, you know? If you loved mommy, you would do this. (laughs) That's not the spirit of life. That's guilt. It's passive aggressive shame. It's like, what's a boy to do? If he doesn't do it, he's saying, I don't love my mommy. It's not fair. It's not truth. Because even if he didn't do it, he would still love his mommy right? And God doesn't deal in falsehoods. He deals in truth and life. So that's force. Power is on the other side. Power is from a place of rest, which I've kind of discussed all the way through this as well. Power is coming from knowing who you are and it's founded in love. You know, power does not put labels on things. It lets the fruits of our labor do it for ourselves. We don't say, I am this. We let what we've done speak for itself. That's all we really have. I could say, I'm this, and you know who I am, but unless the things that I've accomplished speak for that, it really has, it's not power. It's just force control. And so it's knowing where you're from. You don't label yourself. You let the fruit do it. You don't label others because you just desire to lift them up and to help them. And our goal in power becomes to esteem others more than ourselves. We don't want the credit for everything when we're walking in power. We do in force, because if we're smart and we're tough and worthy of everything, then we think that people will do what we say based on us. But power comes from a different position. Power edifies and builds so that people don't want to leave us, because they know that when they're in our presence, they succeed and they become better. And so that's the difference between force and power. When we walk in power, we build others up, and then they want to be around us because they know there's a benefit to the situation. And so we work on esteeming people. That's why I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, we know that grace is an empowerment. It's God's power in our lives to help us do what he's called us to do. And so the Bible says when we esteem others, we actually impart that grace. We impart the power, godly words and life and spirit, impart power to people to become. And so that's why when we're even working through sin issues and different things, I don't spend time on the sin. I spend time on who God wants you to be. And the other stuff starts to shed off. You know, it's like, why would God keep me from this? No, he's keeping you for something. There's always a greater purpose. And so when we edify and we esteem and we build up, we actually impart grace. God's power builds that person up. And so people want to be around us for that reason. Not because we're all got the name and we're all that. It's that, no, when they leave, something's better about them. Another scripture, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, 1 to 4, I think, therefore, if Let each of you look out, not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the position of power. A position of force is you just become very aggressive or passive aggressive to control people and control the situation. But power just imparts to people and allows them to be everything that God has created them to be, even if it doesn't benefit you. Because just the imparting of grace is enough benefit for you to be fulfilled. That should be good enough, you know? So just even a word or a smile or something at a gas station or to your waitress, you have no idea. You might never see it, but you're, you should be satisfied that you just imparted grace to a here. You don't know where God's going to take them after that. You will one day. So what is the keys? What are a couple keys to be able to break through from force to power and to be able to walk this way in relationships? Well, The emotion you'll have to break through is pride. All of us do. The emotion we have to break through is pride. Pride keeps us from transitioning from force into power. And it's being comfortable with being wrong. That's a tough one for some people. It's a tough one. That used to be a tough one for me. Being wrong used to be tough. You know, because you think when you when you use some force or control, it's like if you're wrong, you see it as a weakness and maybe not enough people will follow. But it's the opposite. When you realize you're wrong and you still just impart grace and you learn from your own mistakes, you even more people even want to be around you because it's empowering, it's not controlling. So being comfortable with being wrong, even if it comes from your wife and kids or your spouse and kids. Even if the correction from where you're wrong comes from them, when you realize you're wrong, you have to be wrong and be comfortable with that. Because it's hard. It's hard. Be comfortable with being wrong, even when it comes from your wife and kids. Because power, you have to ask the question, who gave you the position? If you gave yourself the position through force, then you got something to be worried about. But if it's just your godly position, what are you worried about? if it's your godly position to be a husband and a parent, what are you worried about being wrong for? I'd rather walk in his grace and his empowerment, his spirit, and let him help raise my kids rather than me try to do the situation. So who gave us the position? Then what are we worried about? What are we worried about? Now, the last thing is realizing that I mentioned earlier as well, force always looks like it's going to win initially. but power is the one that always wins for eternity. We can have quick results with force. And we'll see people react in a certain way, so we think it works, but long term, it never works. We build resentment, we build fear, we build all sorts of things that are not long term. So, force doesn't, might look like it's going to win, but power always does. And so, even in ourselves, we need to realize that even force in our own selves looks like it can win initially, but not the case. Power is the one that always has eternal success, victory, prosperity, grace, whatever you want to call it. But that's the thing. So did you get something out of that this morning? Good. I would have liked to tidy that up a little better, but I think I got my point across. Let's just pray before we quit. Father God, we are so guilty of so much of this today. In so many areas of our life, I know I am. God, help us see the difference between force and power from the letter of the law and the grace of your spirit, the life of your spirit. Help us to see it, God, and help us to choose to walk in life. God, you've told us what to do. Be edifiers, be builders, raise people up, not be shamers of people that put guilt on other people. Bring freedom and cover a multitude of sin with the love that we walk in. Father, help us to be better in relationships in all that you've given us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.